Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from the series Authentic, a study on the book of James. As we pray the words of Jesus and his high priestly prayer. And he's praying about uh, the disciples and he's praying about us as he prays these things. So why don't you bow your head and listen to the words of Christ. It says, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word and the world has hated them. The world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word. They may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Father, we hear the words of Christ, our Savior, praying for us 2,000 years ago, that we would be one, that we would have your joy in us, that we would... uh, make it clear that we have been sent by you into the world. And so we're here this morning asking you to send us in your name to the world to make your name great. I pray for the churches in this town. I pray for First Baptist Church of Rankin right now as there's a little turmoil and struggle, but you are greater than the struggle and you are greater than the turmoil. And so I ask for healing and for peace and for growth and for discipleship to take place and equipping in your church and that that church would make in the future many, many disciples they would bear much fruit. Um, Lord, I pray for our time in your word, that this third service, you would again, as you have in the first and second, answered in a mighty way, that your spirit would fall fresh, please, on me, a broken man, a needy man, uh, and just fill me and empower me to teach your people, to equip your people, to encourage your people, and that wherever we are this morning, you know, and that your spirit would be meeting us in that need. And so I can't do that because I'm just a man. I'm just an empty vessel. But you can, Lord. And so I pray you would for the name of your son and for his glory, I pray. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. Turn in your Bible to the book of James. James chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, we got them in the seat in front of you and you can just grab that one. Um, And we'll be on page 654 in that Bible. Um, we started this little book last week, and I kind of told you that James, if he was here, we call him a close talker because he's all up in your grill, all right? He's, he's going to get in our grill for the next couple months, and, and really, uh, what we saw last week, we just opened one verse, and, and really, we saw what James said. He says, I am James. I am a servant of Jesus, the Messiah, and what we did is we kind of unpacked, well, who is this guy, James? James is the brother of Jesus. Same mom, Mary. His father was named Joseph. Jesus' stepdad was Joseph. But he grew up in the same house with Jesus. He was the half-brother of Jesus. And now he is saying, I am the servant of my brother, Jesus. 
I believe my brother is God. I believe he is the Messiah. Now, he wasn't always there. We looked and we saw in Mark chapter 3, he thought his brother Jesus was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. All right? Thought he was wacko. Put a straitjacket on him. We saw in John chapter 7 that he did not believe his brother despite miracles, despite teaching. He didn't believe in his brother. So what happened? The resurrection happened. And everything changed. And he becomes, goes from skeptic to worshiper of his brother. And he becomes the head of the church in Jerusalem, a man of authority who was called a pillar by the Apostle Paul in the early church, right? And so here he's saying, I am a worshiper, I am a servant of my brother. And here's what James says. Here's why I love James. James is no fluff. He just jumps right in. He said, I'm James, I serve Jesus. Now let's talk. Let's talk about life. No, no like, oh, greetings in the name and blessing be and blah, blah, blah. He's like, I'm James, I serve Jesus. Now let's talk. Let's talk about life and let's start here. Life stinks. How you like them apples? right? That's where he's going. He's going to jump right in and say, life is hard. And I love the honesty of the scripture because it's, it's where we're at. And I love the fact that the scripture speaks to the things when we need it the most, when things are going awry. And he says, life, life's hard. And what James is going to do, and we talked about it last week, is for five chapters, he's going to talk about what it looks like to live out the faith in an authentic way. What does authentic faith look like when it's lived out? And he's writing these early Christians. This is the first book chronologically in the New Testament, written mid-40s, right? Before Romans, before 1 Corinthians, before Mark, before John, first book. And he's writing these Christians who have been scattered throughout the area because of persecution and suffering and struggling. They get kicked out of Jerusalem where the church starts and they're all over the place. And there's a temptation for them to blend, to kind of just, you know, well, it'll be easier if we just kind of blend in, Right? We won't face the struggle. And he says, you cannot blend. You are a follower of my brother, the Lord Jesus. There's no blending. Here's what it looks like to live out your faith in life. Boom. And he's going to start with living it out when life is hard. And he's not going to tell us, here's how you get out of trouble. Here's how you get rid of your struggles. He's not going to go there. He's going to say, here's how you live out your faith in an authentic way in the middle of it. Let me talk about it. So let's read our text, and then we'll jump in. We'll see what he says. Let's start in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything for the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He starts off, I'm James, I serve Jesus, life is hard, Right? Very famous verse. Count it all, joy, my brothers. Circle it, underline it, star it, little pink flower, whatever. When you meet trials of various kinds. When, not if, not it might happen, not maybe for some of you. When you meet trials. When, right? And, and the first thing that James says, really, and, and how do you walk through these things? 
first thing you do is you expect it. You expect that life is hard. Welcome to CBC, right? Welcome to the book of James. Expect it. You see, you cannot say, well, I didn't know that life was hard. God says, I wrote it down. I told you, I put it in the first book of the New Testament chronologically. I even put it in the front because in case you didn't make it to chapter three, all right? It's not in the middle. It's not in the back. It's not some fast guy at the end of the ad. Life is hard. I put it right up front. My brother told you right up front. When, when you face trials of various types, various kinds, and the word for various there, it's a word that means multicolored in its literal meaning. All sorts of colors, all sorts of types. You will face in this world all types of struggles and temptations and trials. You'll face social ones and financial ones and physical ones and mental ones and spiritual ones and marital ones and and relational ones and emotional ones. You will face them. And there'll be big ones and there'll be small ones, little bitty ones, like you can't find the remote, the dog runs off and gets muddy. The kid spills the sippy cup in the back of the minivan and it stinks for three months. That's a little one. And you're gonna face big ones. You're going to stand by the grave of somebody you love at some point in your life. If you are married, one of you will most likely have to bury the other. That's that's the reality, right? That is a a trial, y'all. That is a struggle. That is real, right? And it's gonna happen for all of us. And you, and you think, well, and, and this is the, co- the cool thing, kind of in a way, is everyone has them. The 12-year-old thinks, man, life stinks. I'm 12. Can't go to a PG-13 movie. I mean, you know, can't do anything, right? But when I'm 22, life will be great. I won't be under my parents. I'll be a senior. It'll be great. You know what the 22-year-old's thinking? Man, when I'm 32, and I'll be married, and I'll have a job, and I'll have a lab, and I'll have a house. It'll be great. Of kids, 32-year-olds thinking, man, 15 years till the kids are gone, <laughs> and I'm, I'm gold. We'll have money. I won't be driving a minivan. It'll be great. Right? 52-year-olds thinking, oh, that's sad. I don't have babies anymore. 62-year-olds thinking, when are the grandkids coming? Right? And it goes on and on and on. And the 82-year-old has struggles and the 12-year-old has all struggles. And that's what he says. Various types. Expect it. There will be struggles. There will be trial. There will be conflict. There will be all these things. And I think it's helpful for us a little bit to classify some of these things. Why are there struggles? What types of struggles are there? And I've kind of put them into four categories. You can break them into more. But I think it's helpful when we're encouraging each other and understanding. There's four real major categories, I think, scripturally, of suffering and trials. The first one is what we call common suffering or Adamic suffering. And this just means because you're a child of Adam, there's, you, will, you will face struggle. Because there is a sin nature and because we are in a fallen world that has been uh, afflicted by sin, you're, you're just going to get the flu, flu shot or not. You will uh, see storms and there will be tornadoes and there will be all these things and flat tires and all, all that because it's common suffering. As you get older, you will pull muscles eating bowls of cereal. It's just what I mean, it just happens, right? You will have to get up in the night three times to go to the bathroom. That's part of life, right? As you get older, that's common suffering, right? Everyone gets it. You can't get away with it. Then there's what we call consequential suffering. 
This is because of my choices or the choices of others, I, I suffer. You eat Mickey D's and drink Pepsi all day long every day, you will be unhealthy. It's a choice. You wear skinny jeans, we will laugh at you. And it's a, I will mock you from the front. It's just a choice, right? But the, but the idea is because of your choice, there is struggle. It's not just your choice sometimes, too. It can be the choice of someone else. So the drunk driver gets in the car and he hurts somebody, kills somebody. His choices cause this person to suffer. This dad is a deadbeat dad, doesn't handle the finances well. The kids suffer. This mom is disrespectful to the husband. The kids become dis- It's someone else's choice. You face the repercussions. And so we see a lot of that, right? Then we have what's called Christian suffering, which is because you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there's a struggle. There's a suffering, right? Maybe it's as little as a professor makes fun of you or some friends won't hang out with you anymore, right? Maybe it's as great as you lose your life. Maybe you become the opposition, you become uh, under the attack of spiritual warfare because you are plugging forward in this ministry and there's attacks because of it. It's all sorts of things wrapped into it because you are a follower of Jesus, there is struggle, right? There is struggle. So that's one of the types. And probably the one that we need to go to the most, but we don't because we always wanna have a name, is I call it the question mark reason and that's because you have no clue why and you never will, so don't try to classify it. Sometimes what people need is not you to tell them, well, this must be consequential suffering, John, and you know, sometimes they just need you to weep with them, pray with them, and hug them, tell them you love them. You hear that, and it's your car? Hit the button right now. (laughs) I can preach through it, y'all. I'm just telling you, but I mean, you might not be able to listen through it. But what James is saying right up front is, y'all, suffering is gonna happen when, when? And, And I'm not saying, some Christians, they wanna go and, they want to suffer so they can think they're... I'm not talking about going being weird and say, oh, I'm weird, and now they persecute me. No, you're just weird. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this happens, so, so just own it, that it's hard, that God has kept us in this broken world for our good and for his glory, okay? So own that right up front. But there's something else here I think that's even harder to take. It's one of those things where you're like, what you talking about, Willis? You know, verse two again, excuse me. Count it all joy. What? Count it all what? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials, when you, when you see these things, right? So this is one of those statements in Scripture you're like, all right, these are those backward statements like, you want to be great, you need to be the servant, right? You, you, you want to be rich, you got to give. You, you want to be first, you got to be last. You want to go up, you got to get down. It, it's one of those statements where you're like, how does intense joy and intense trial and suffering, how can they not be contradictory? How can he say, count all joy when you encounter trials? And it's not just James, by the way. This is constant through the scripture. So Paul says to the Thessalonians, you receive the word in much affliction with the joy. Affliction and joy? Peter is going to say, don't be surprised at the fiery trial among you, which has come upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening. To the degree that you share the suffering of Christ, rejoice. Rejoice. Suffering. Right? But that's what he says. He says, choose. You want to know how to handle? Choose to be joyful. And I use the words carefully there. You choose to be joyful. The problem we have with this verse is because it's been hijacked by religious people. It's one of their fab five, you know, favorite verses. Like, 
um, you judge not unless we judge, uh, you know? So, so something happens and you lose your job. Well, just count it all joy. Count it all joy, you know? You get the flu. Well, just, you just need to count it all joy. Your cat gets run over. And maybe that is joyful to some of you, but some is not. <laughs> count it all joy, right? Just count it all joy, right? But that's not how James is using the text. He's not being all happy, 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 joy, joy, joy. He uses a word. It's a rational word. Think, consider it. All joy. And he is giving a command. This is not a suggestion. This is, it'd be nice if you did this. It's as much a command as flee immorality and pray without ceasing and love your neighbor as yourself and, and you know, all those things. It's just, just as much of a command to choose to consider it joy. No, he doesn't say happy. He's not saying, I'm for happiness. Happy, happy, happy. I like happy. Everyone be happy. That's not what he's saying. There's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances. So this week, my oldest two, they had off school because it was cloudy. All right? <laughs> we had cloud days, we call them in the south. In the north, they're snow days. In Savannah, they're cloud days. Okay, so we had two cloud days on Wednesday and Thursday. And the, re the result of cloud day was happiness. There's happiness in the Fowler household because there's cloud days. But what happens when the doctor says, test shows breast cancer? When the husband comes home and says, transfer. When the boyfriend says, I don't want to get married. When the boss says, downsize. When the mechanic says, $1,900. When the kid says, I hate you. Right? When the doctor says, no kids, you can't have children. See, that is when joy kicks in. Joy is not because of circumstance. It's in spite of it. And it's not merely an emotion. It cannot be because he's saying, choose it. It's something that you have to have an act of the will to choose joy. And next to love in the scripture, y'all, I don't know if there's a more important characteristic that should define Christianity than joy. I mean, 500 plus times you see the command to rejoice or the word joy in the scripture. Joy, 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 joy. Right? I mean, you got love, which is clearly important, but the fruit of the spirit, the first one's love, and what's number two? Joy. Joy. And he said, where did James get this? Where did he learn this? You know where James learns this? He learns it from his big brother. That's where he learns it. He grew up with the guy who epitomized joy. And the writer of the Hebrews says this about him, that Jesus was the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, I cannot think of anything less joyful and, and more horrendous than a cross. In fact, if you read the Gospels and you see what's going on in the Garden of Gethsemane, it is so intense that Christ is sweating drops of blood. And he's crying out to his Father, if there is any other way than becoming the object of your wrath, if there's any other way than, than being rejected by you, who I have been in perfect unity for all eternity past, if there's any other way than becoming sin, Becoming the very porn, lust, 
murder, hatred, becoming those things. If there's any other way, Father, then take this cup from me. But if not, your will be done. Nobody was sitting there saying, Jesus, happy, happy, happy. Joy, 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 joy. No one. But yet he chose joy and he endured the cross and he despised the shame and he is right now seated at the right hand. That's where James learned it. And so I know it sounds kind of churchy to say these kind of things because you're thinking this miscarriage hurts. Rebellious teenager hurts. Being single and lonely sometimes hurts. The loss of my mom or my dad or my uncle, it hurts. I'm not saying enjoy. He is not saying enjoy these things. He is saying choose joy. And there's a difference. So how is that possible? He tells us. The next verse, that little word for, this Greek word hati, means for or because. It's a modifier of what he's just said. And that's a fancy word saying, if you were diagramming this back in sixth grade, and you had, here's your verb, here's your, you'd put this thing right under that count it all joy. Because it tells you how. Count it all joy. How? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. You know something. And you should circle that. It's in the present tense. You right now can choose joy because you know something. You folks know something that enables you to choose joy. What do we know? You know that the testing of your faith produces endurance or steadfastness. Now, let's unpack that a little bit. The testing of your faith. The word for testing there is a a word that means to prove the genuineness of something. That's the way Peter uses it. That's the way James uses it. To prove the genuineness of something. What does a test do? It proves whether you know something or you don't, right? I used to come home back in high school. Mom, got to see what happened. Well, it was the teacher's fault because I didn't blah, 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 right? So I get bad SAT scores. That's why I was a PE major, all right? Okay. And well, you know, I don't test well, right? I don't test well. That's my excuse. What that means is I don't know anything. Really, I just, I don't study and I play sports and I play, that's all I do. I was great in PE. So great sports, lousy everything else because I didn't study, right? That's, that's what the test was showing. It was, and if you don't test well, really don't send me a letter. I'm sure some of you don't really test well, so I'm not, I'm not insulting your intelligence, okay? But for me, it was nothing to do with me not testing well. It was me not knowing well is what it was. And the test revealed that. That's what the test showed. The trials of life show what's in our heart. That's that's what this is saying. The trials of life show what's there. So if you're flipping out because the guy's in the left lane and he's going slow, yes, he might be going slow. But what's showing in your heart is selfishness, arrogance, pride, impatience. That's what the trial's showing. And it's real easy to say, I don't test well, or it's the teacher's fault. It's real easy to say, well, the guy was in the left lane, or you don't know my boss, or you don't know my spouse, or you don't know the situation. I don't. And James is not denying the reality of that. But what he's saying is, I know that's true, but I'm not talking about the guy in the left lane. I'm talking to you. You choose joy. But you don't know, but I, I, I do know. I'm not talking about them. You choose joy. That's what he's saying. Because you know that this is an opportunity to prove the, here's our, here's our word, authenticity of your faith. Your trial is an opportunity to demonstrate your faith in God. It's a test. 
How are we doing? What's it showing? Right? He says it's a test, and its test does what? It produces something. It produces hupomene, steadfastness, endurance, staying power, um, the capacity to hold out, the capacity to, to be fortified, to be fortitude. That's what he's saying. And he says, you know this. You, you know it already. You do. You know that this test makes you stronger. All of us do. Even if we don't want to admit it. You say, I don't know it. Well, you do now, right? You're here. And it, and it works in the spiritual realm just like it does in the physical realm. We don't send guys who join the Marines off to the spa. I think you need a petty and a manny. <laughs> Where do we send them? We send them to boot camp. Why? Because it needs to be hard to make them hard. We don't send seals to do the butterfly. We send them to buds so that they become hard and they become seals. Some of you got your little t-shirt you wear to the gym. No pain, no gain. Ah, right? You got it on there. You get it. That which does not kill me makes me stronger. We, have, we know the idea that hardship produces endurance and steadfastness. We just don't like it. But we know it. He says, you know this already. You know that hard times produce steadfastness and stability. I know that going out and having a little three-mile jog, eight-minute pace, that's fun. I can run and do that. That doesn't make me faster. What makes me faster is when I go busted out 615, 620. My chest feels like it's going to explode. My heart's racing and I can't talk. That makes me faster. Right? And I know that. And we know that. And what God is saying here is you know this. I'm not saying it's easy, but you can choose to be joyful and content and satisfied even in that because you know that I am producing something in you. I am making you strong. I am making you harder. I am making you endure so that you won't be just a flash in the pan, so that you will persevere to the end. That's what I'm doing. And that's why you can be joyful. Heard heard a story about two baseball players this week. One's name was Jim Greengrass. Some of you older folks might know him. Maybe if you're a Cincinnati Red Leg fan. If you're a Red Leg fan, then you are one of our senior members of the church. <laughs> right? But he was an outfielder for the Cincinnati Red Legs. And in 1954, on opening day, old boy went four for four with four doubles. Broke the record. No one had four doubles on opening day ever before. Everyone thought, wow, did you see what Jim Greengrass did? Woo, you know. And everyone ignored the guy on the other side of the field that day, who was a rookie. Rookie outfielder for the Milwaukee Braves, went 0 for 5, and I'll use it as a positive illustration because it's the Milwaukee Braves, not the Atlanta Braves, so we're all right. But this outfielder for the Milwaukee Braves that day went 0 for 5 in his first game. His name was Henry Aaron. No one paid attention. 0 for 5. Great rookie day. But Henry Aaron, aka Hank Aaron, goes on to play for 22 plus seasons, to bat 300 for a career, and hit 755 unsteroid home runs, right? Jim Greengrass went on to play for four years for a couple different teams, hit 69 home runs, and batted about 260 for a career. Which one had endurance? Which one persevered? And what God is saying is, I know this trial stinks, and it does, it stinks. But I am doing something in you to make you strong. That's what I'm doing. And because of that, you can choose joy. 
I, I know you're working two jobs as a single mom. I know you can't sell your house. I know, I know that I'm doing something great here, right? To choose joy. It's a way to show the authenticity of your faith, to expect it and choose joy. But he, he continues. Look at, look at verse 4. And let, and this, it's unfortunate some of your translations don't bring the command. This is a command. So if you have the NIV, it softens it, unfortunately, a little bit. But there's a command here. It says, and let steadfastness have its full effect. You have to do something. You have to allow it. I love the New Living here. The New Living translation says, let it grow. Let it grow. And so how do we handle trials? We expect it and we, and we choose joy, but we also let it grow us. You have to allow it to grow you. Don't short-circuit the process. Don't, don't, don't kick out and say, no, 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 because he's trying to make you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And, and I summarize that by saying he's, he's trying to make you more like Christ, who lacked nothing in the middle of his trial, who was perfect, who was whole, was complete. He's trying to make you more like Jesus, your Savior, right? He's trying to make you more mature. That's what he's trying to do. How did Jesus handle struggle? When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That's what he's trying to do in you, to make you more, more Christ-like. And the progression is you expect trial. You choose joy knowing what you know about the trial, and then you allow it. You let it happen. Don't short-circuit the process. Don't quit, right? Maturity only comes when we rightly respond. Only when we rightly respond. There's Christians who have been Christians for years, but they're immature because they're not been rightly responding to what God has been doing. I mean, if we ask most of us, how many of you want to be more like Jesus? People, oh, yeah, I do. You know, what would Jesus do? I got the bracelet. Woo! Right? But if I ask the question, how many of you want a trial? Trial. Right? Not me. I'm good. But really, the two are the same question. You want to be more like Christ? Do you want a trial? The both are the same, right? This is one of the ways that God makes us more like his son, through struggles, through trial. So you say, well, I want to be thin. Well, you have to then eat well and exercise. You can't just say, I want to be thin and think it's going to happen. Well, that'll happen. I just want it to happen. I'll watch Slim Fast commercials. That'll work, <laughs> Right? I want to be smart. Then you got to pick up the book. It doesn't work when you put it under your pillow. I tried. Right? You, you put the effort in. I want to be like Christ. Then the trial, allow it to grow you. Let perseverance grow you. Don't quit. Don't give up. I've talked to so many men in this church. You know, just asking them questions about their business, about their life. What is it? More than one man in this church has said, you know what really shaped me more than anything? When I went bankrupt. Bankrupt. I thought that's, that gets you out of monopoly. That's like done, game over, right? Bankrupt? Yeah, that, that's what shaped me more than anything. Hmm, not college, not fraternity, not business school, not MBA, no bankruptcy. And we know that hardship, anything that's worthwhile is typically hard. Marriage is hard, but yet great and joyful. It brings great content. Raising kids, starting your own company, finishing the degree. These things are hard, but they produce something and growth. 
right? And so you, you can short circuit the process by quitting. We see it all the time. You have conflict with this person, you quit. Boop, I'm out. Oh, this job's hard. Boop, I'm out. This church is a little, boop, I'm out. Is no, don't, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't short circuit it. Don't get bitter. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. Lies like, well, if it's hard, then God must be punishing me right now. If everything's good, God's happy. If, there's a whole book of the Bible called Job. Why, that's not true. Look, God does not punish his children. He already punished his son for your sins. Now, sometimes he disciplines us because of decisions, but he never punishes. He's never sitting there, oh, I'm, I'm mad at you now. You better watch it. Market's going down, down, down because of you, right? It's, it's not a biblical picture of who God is. God has not abandoned you. Well, if everything's going well, God must be with me. If he's not, he must have left me. God never orphans his children. And he promises, and some of you need to cling to the promise, I will never leave you. Never, 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 never leave you or forsake you, ever. And if I do, then I'm a liar, because I've promised it. Is God a liar? No. So he cannot lie. He has not left you. These are lies of the enemy. That God is the cause of my suffering. We'll deal with this more next week. God is not the cause. And if you believe that, the problem with that is if you think God is the cause of your suffering, then you will run from him rather than run to him, which is what he wants you to do. Yes, he is sovereign over it, but he is allowing it for a reason. Because he wants to drive you to himself. This week, one of my, my kids came in the house, and I could tell he'd been crying red all over his face. I said, what's wrong, Bubba? Something happened? And I wanted that struggle, and I wanted him to talk to me. I wanted him to come to me. I wanted to, to comfort him in that, not to be like hiding from me. And that's the idea with our God, right? There's a myth also that some of us believe, and that's why we're frustrated, is that, that God always has to change your circumstances. He's got to make it better, right? God doesn't promise to change the circumstance. He promises to change you in the circumstance, but not the circumstance, right? Not always easy. Or you don't always have the answers. You're not going to always have the why. But that when you're in the middle of the struggle, you don't always need why. What you need is grace, which we have in abundance in Christ. That's what he wants us to see. And look, I know that this is a radically different way of viewing struggle. It really is. I mean, this is a, this is a distinctly different way of seeing trials and tribulations. This is a Christian way of seeing it. This is an authentically biblical way. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And so those who are his subjects have to realize there's a difference between the way we see things and others. For a person that doesn't know Jesus, when things just fall through, it's bad luck. Just the way it is, the way it happens, right? It's just, you know, I just, you know, this is it. But for the Christian, it's not just the way it is. This is an opportunity to show the authenticity of your faith. It's an opportunity to grow you, to make you stronger. It's an opportunity to glorify Jesus Christ and become more like him. So as hard as it is, don't waste your trial. Don't waste your struggle. And I want you to know and I've told this to the early services, I'll tell you, it's really easy for y'all to think, oh, it's just you saying that, Bill. You know, you're the preacher, you went to seminary, blah, 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 you know the Bible, blah. It's, it's, you don't know what it's like. Let me just tell you, I do. I can tell you firsthand. I'll be honest, sometimes I want to quit this job. 
It is hard. I would love to have a weekend two days in a row, just once, twice a year. Right? I'd love it. I would love to get in a minivan and pack my kids in the car and for all of us to be able to go to church at one time. I'd love that. I would love to not have my family in the crosshairs of the enemy all the time. I can take it, but my kids, my wife, I'd love to not have that be the case. I would love to not have to get the criticism sometimes or the, well, you know about this, and I, I would love to just be the one criticizing. <laughs> it, I, it's hard. My marriage is not perfect. I am a jerk sometimes to my kids. I am not a good husband. It's, it's not just y'all. Right? It's all of us, and, and you need to know that. All of us are in this boat together. All of us, and God is doing something in all of us. And I want you to know, despite what you might read at Lifeway or in some book, your best life is not now. Okay? Your best life is not now. Peace now, yes. Joy now, yes. Love now, yes. Contentment now, yes. But your best life is when Jesus Christ comes back. That is your best life. All right, so don't, don't get all, this is, this is as good as it, if this is as good as it gets, man, heaven's not so great. I mean, it's all right, but this is not as good as it gets. This is for the Christian as bad as it gets. That's as good as it gets when Christ comes back. Until that day, you have a high priest. He says, I get it. I've been there. I've done that. They tried to kill me when I was born. They tried to assassinate me at my birth. The Son of Man had no place to, leave his head, to lay his head down. My best friend denied me to my face that he even knew me. The very people I came to love and save murdered me. I was tempted by the devil himself, not by some lower-level demon. The devil himself stood there and offered me the world. So when, when you're in the middle of trial, I get it, is what he's saying. I'm a high priest who can sympathize with you. So come to my throne of grace. Come to my throne of mercy and find help in time of need. And that's where he goes next. We expect it. We choose joy. We know and let it grow us. And the last thing is this, is that we ask him for help because he promises us health. Ask him. He says in verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, anybody here lack wisdom? All right. Only like three hands. So you all, there we go. Right? And then the rest, grab the hand of the guy that didn't raise it because he lacks wisdom. Okay? If any of you lacks wisdom, look what he says. Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. He says, you, you lack wisdom? You don't know how to handle this trial? You don't know what's going on in the middle of it? Ask me. And I don't give stingily. I don't give begrudgingly. I give generously. And who do I give to? Everybody who asks. I don't care what color, how old, how you've messed up in the past. Oh, you're a knucklehead. You didn't listen to me before. I give without reproach. I just give, 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 give. Only if you ask. And if you ask in faith. And notice he says, ask for not information, ask for wisdom. See, knowledge and information are fine. But what we need in the middle of that trial is not just what is this about, is how am I supposed to deal with this? So if the visitor comes in the door and says, I need to find the third grade classroom, we can give a map. 
and they'll end up on Duren somewhere, all right? Because this building is confusing. And, and oh, what is more helpful is you give them a map and say, here, let me walk you up to this class. See, that's the difference between info and wisdom. What we need is, God, what am I supposed to do? My spouse is depressed. How can I handle this? How can I deal with the children and, and, and encourage them? And how do I do that? that that's a wisdom. Lord, I, I'm about to lose my job. What, what do you want me to learn here? What am, I, what am I supposed to, how am I supposed to worship in this? How, how can I lead my children and, and, and show them that you are still God and sovereign? That's a wisdom. Lord, there's this huge temptation to always do this. And what are you trying to show me here? How do I handle that? See, those are wisdom questions. And God says, ask and I'll give it. And he says, I'm God and I am generous and I am omnipotent and I'm omniscient. And so I'm, and he's this dad who's on the edge of his chair. It's like he's pictured here. Come on, ask me, ask me. Dad, I need help. I know, I know. And I want to give you wisdom. I want to help you. But you got to believe he does. He's not some dad that says, ask me. Oh, sorry, just kidding. Don't want to help you. Go do your own thing. I don't care. If that's how you view God, he says, don't, don't come and ask the omnipotent, omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing, loving God for wisdom and then and kind of blow him off. Because if you're doubting him, you're one who doubts is like a wave that the sea is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Why? Because he's double-minded. He's unstable. Don't come in all wobbling, well, Dad, I think I need help. Maybe, can you help me? I don't know. Uh, No, ask in faith. He's either God or he's not. He can lie or he can't lie. Which is it? He says, I cannot lie. I I am truth. If you ask for wisdom, I will give it to you. You say, where do I look for it? Should a little umbrella come down like Hunger Games? Well, look, a little thing comes down, right? No, that's not how it works. You ask for wisdom, where do I always start when I ask for wisdom? Holy Spirit, lead me. You are, the, you are my comforter. You are my guide. You, are, you know the mind of God. You are the mind of Christ. Lead me. And so it could be as simple as turning on the radio. And oh my goodness, there's a 30-second blurb from this ministry over here that just speaks right to my soul and what I needed to hear. Or maybe it's picking up a book that deals with this issue about marriage or communication or raising teenagers or, or whatever it is. Or maybe you you should start by asking the Spirit to speak to you through the Scripture. God says, you want wisdom? I wrote a book. Here it is. It's called the Bible. Bestseller. It's pretty good. Got all sorts of versions for you. Study Bibles, chronological Bibles, colored Bibles, pink Bibles, blue Bibles. Open it up. Just read. What's the Spirit going to lead you there? Ask people who have been there. This is why our community groups are so vital, y'all. Because you've got people in all walks of life. That's why knowing people and being known is important. Yeah, what it, you did this with your business, and this is going on in my, what, what am I doing wrong? God gives wisdom in that when you're seeking it, right? Listen to the podcasts of sermons and good preachers. Open up the scripture. Oh, there's so many resources. God is wanting to speak. It says in Proverbs that wisdom is crying out. People are just walking by all day long, not listening. He says, I want to. I want to walk you through this. I want to help you. Just, just come to me for help. Right? You gotta come. Look, nobody likes hard times. I don't. I, I don't like trials, but I am thankful that the Scripture walks us through them and tells us how to handle them. I mean, it has not put it in the fine print. Paul says, through many 
tribulations, we enter the kingdom of heaven. Peter says, those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Jesus says, in this world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. John the apostle says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Tells us the truth. Tells us how to walk through and show our faith. We expect it. We choose joy knowing it's an opportunity to show our faith, knowing it makes us stronger. We let it mature us, and then we ask our Father in heaven, help. And he promises to help. We're going to respond through worship. Um, and we've chosen some songs that hopefully will encourage you and allow you to reflect. And if you need prayer, I'll be down front. I'll pray with you. If you want to stay seated and just cry to your heavenly Father, he, he, he understands. This is a time for us to respond and I think it's, it's really, this is cool. I, maybe you don't think it's cool, but I think it's awesome how we are going to celebrate baptism on the same day we talk about suffering. Now, we planned baptisms back in like October. We put it on the calendar. Didn't know what I was preaching this Sunday. I didn't know topically anyway. I didn't know where in James I'd be. But just in God's providence, how suffering and baptism come on the same day. And, and it's so similar to the text, right? Joy and suffering. We're going to celebrate newness of life. We're going to celebrate... Baptism was picture someone who was dead, and, dead and, and now they're alive in Christ. And their hope is in resurrection. When we bring these people out of the water, it pictures resurrection. Where's our hope? Resurrection. I think that God does that on purpose so that we can see that both things can be together. Choosing joy in the middle of suffering. Talking about joy, celebrating newness of life. Don't miss that as we put these people under the water and they celebrate the newness of life that they have. And celebrate and, and worship. In the middle of it, I'm not denying the reality of your struggle. I never would do so. But I know our God is good. And he cares and he knows. Why don't you guys stand, if you want, with me and we'll worship. And if you're going to be baptized this service, then you guys can head back up there right now and, uh, and go get ready to the changing rooms upstairs. Let me pray. Father, you are good and you are gracious. We love you. I just pray... For those here who are hurt, that are down, um, just move right now by your spirit, that we would find hope in you, find grace in you, uh, find what we need in Christ. For his name and his sake we pray.